Hi, welcome to Behind the Lighthouse, short stories from Byron Bay and beyond, where we bring you short stories created by amazing writers living in the Northern Rivers, Australia. The Byron Bay hinterland, so to speak. And I'm your host, Steve Nossiter. The Northern Rivers is Bundjalung country. As part of this storytelling, I'd like to acknowledge the Bundjalung people, the traditional custodians of the land on which we writers live. And we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Today's short story, Monty, written by Maggie Wildblood, is read by Henry Rennie. And as part of the reading, Henry has also given us an introduction, so I'm just going to let him do that for us. All right, over to you, Henry. Like most good writers, Maggie Wildblood is a keen observer of life. It's said that every person has a story, but if you don't know the person, the opportunity is there for the imagination to go to work. Monty is based on a chance encounter with a man who was interesting enough to inspire contemplation. Some people try not to look at the less fortunate in the community, perhaps thinking if they're ignored, they'll just somehow go away. Maggie, on the other hand, looks deeper. How does that person feel and think? Monty by Maggie Wildblood Read by Henry Rennie. Monty can't put it off any longer. He's got to get up, get out of bed. He pulls on baggy track pants, opens the door while dragging a T-shirt over his singlet, stumbles along the passage. Isn't hard to find that lavatory, even in the dark. He just follows his nose. Few of the others, all of them men, give a toss about aiming. It's a hit-or-miss job for him. Most of them miss. Back in his room, Monty knows there's no point getting under the blankets again. The warmth from his body is well and truly gone. Limping to the window, he pushes the grimy curtain aside. Rain. Rain and wind as well. Typical bloody winter. Gets harder and harder every year. Impossible yet again to sit in the park and soak up some sun. Warm his arthritic knees. Won't be tables and chairs on the footpath outside any of the cafes either where a bloke could sit and linger over a coffee and watch the world pass him by. Turning, he looks around. After ten years, this room is as familiar to him as his own face. Sagging bed shoved against the wall, bedding as grey as the weather, chair leaning drunkenly to one side, small table with a TV that works when it feels like it, an elderly wardrobe with one door open, inside that a couple of coat hangers, wire bent into a V, a pair of runners, laces long gone and never replaced, why bother? lying on the floor where he kicked them off last night. Not much to show for 76 years. Old George in the next room must be awake too. He coughs and coughs again, 
a wet noise, followed by a hawking sound before he spits into an old jar on the floor beside his bed. Smoker's cough, they called it once, but now it's got a fancy name. M-something. Or maybe it's cancer. (laughs) The result's the same, whatever you call it. He and George have shared that wall for a long time. Not many secrets between them, one way and another. Suddenly, Monty has to get out. Be near other people, ordinary people. The weather affects him more than he likes to admit, takes him places he doesn't want to go to, wakens memories better left to sleep. Days like this are the worst. They bring back the misery of school, the place he was ridiculed and punished by the teachers for his facial tics, for the noises and the words that sometimes burst from his mouth no matter how hard he tried to keep them in. The playgrounds weren't playgrounds for Monty. They were places of torment and sometimes of torture. At last he'd found a hiding place under the main school building. There he'd crouch in the dark and the dirt and the spider's webs when the other kids were out in the playground. Safe there, he thought, until that wet winter's day when the big kids, all boys, found him. They grabbed him dragged him to the toilet block. There they pulled down his pants, shoved his Y-fronts into his mouth, pushed his head into the lavatory bowl and pulled the chain. It was a big joke, they thought. Funny, they thought. Telling him to bark now, grunt now. The bell ringing for the end of playtime saved him, forced the others back inside. Mr Osborne, the teacher, didn't even notice Monty wasn't there with the rest of the class. He'd nicked off home, where his old man gave him a belting for getting wet. Mum and Dad weren't no help anyway, too busy getting pissed and abusing each other to spend any time worrying about their son the freak, Monty the monster. When he was reported for truancy, what did they do? They turned their abuse on him. Never bloody asked a kid why he nicked off, did they? It hadn't helped finding out that these almost uncontrollable spasms were something he'd been born with. Knowing a name, Tourette's Syndrome, doesn't matter. (laughs) Not anymore, anyway. Maybe it would have when he was a little tyke, but now, ah. Memories. He tries to keep them buried in the dark, pushed down deep. Some kinds of dark are okay, though. Make him feel safe for a short while, like he did under the school building. That's it. That's what he'll do. Go to the movies. Burrow into the dark of the dandy for a couple of hours. Sliding his feet into the runners and shrugging on his jacket, a trophy from Vinny's, he grabs his stick and hobbles to the door. Catching a glimpse of himself in the wardrobe mirror, he sees a number two cut, a face that subsided into wrinkled despair, track pants and top, jacket and stick, and the runners. Now that's a laugh. It's been years since he's run anywhere. The idea of it almost makes him smile. Better take the old Anset airline bag as well. Might do a bit of shopping. The wind grabs the front door and slams it shut before he can. It's much colder out here on the street. He'd thought his room was cold, but there was no wind there. Well, apart from the bloody draught that winds through the gaps around the window frame. Here on the street there's wind all right. Wind that whips spikes of rain around a man's legs and down his collar. 
What's on at the Dendi? Oh, hell, it doesn't matter. A bloke just wants to sit in the warm dark, out of reach of the rain and the wind, and away from the eyes watching him as he ticks and twitches, away from the ears that hear his words and sounds, away from the looks of pity, distaste and condemnation. It's the pity that's the worst, but nibbles away at the little bit of pride still deep inside him. That pride, that's all the bloke's got left. He passes the pub, then doubles back, popping in for a quickie, a winter warmer. After downing a rum, then another, he goes into the bottle shop and gets a longy and a half bottle of rum. Just what the doctor ordered, as the old man used to say. Into the ANSET bag they slide, separated by the newspaper he keeps there to stop the bottles clinking, or worst of all, breaking. After paying for the grog, there isn't much left, but enough for the movies. He's made sure of that. Pension day's coming up, and it won't be the first time he's run short. Or the last. Out in the weather again, he struggles across King Street near the traffic lights, impatient horns blasting at him. No walking on the pedestrian crossing for him. He looks at the drivers sitting in their air-conditioned comfort, gives them the finger, shuffles past the shops and plunges into the Dendy's foyer. The aroma of hot food from the cafe taunts him. He'd give quids to be able to buy a hot drink, maybe even a pie. Then he laughs at himself, muttering under his breath, You pays your money and you takes your choice. And mine was grog. The young bloke behind the counter has smooth hair and smooth skin. Looks about sixteen. He raises an eyebrow at Monty. Yeah? Pensioner's ticket, mate. What do you want to see? (laughs) Whatever's on soonest, mate. Okay. Here's a ticket to the journey of the Red Balloon. It's a French film. Starts at ten in Cinema 2. In the theatre, he picks a seat in the back row near the door. The place is almost empty, just a few old birds sitting in singles. They'd have looked like chooks on a roost, except from what he remembers, chooks huddle together and this lot don't. No, not them. They're more like birds on a wire. No one takes any notice as he manoeuvres himself down, leaning his stick against the seat to the left, settling the airline bag on his lap, quietly undoing its zipper. There it is, his little friend, shedding drops of condensation onto the brown paper bag that the bloke in the bottle shop insisted on using. His fingers find his other friend, nestling beside the longy, ready when he is. As soon as the theatre's dark, he slides the bag down the longy's neck. Pushing his thumbs under its corrugations, he lifts the lid off, places it carefully, noiselessly back in the bag, The comforting smell of hops fills his nostrils. On the screen, ads rush past and the movie begins. He saw the red balloon years ago. Will it have been changed much? Probably. Everything seems to be changing these days, and fast. Even he's changing, but not for the better. Relaxing now, he raises the bottle to his lips, rewarded by the wetness sliding down his throat. By God, that's good. Better take it easy, though. Better take it easy. No need to rush things. Movies usually last about an hour and a half. 
and if he's careful, takes his time, spaces it out, the grog should last that long. Knows himself too well to think there'll be anything left to take home. A bark, his bark, echoes in the theatre. A voice, his voice, says loud like, Thanks very much! He lifts the bottle again, and again, over and over. He's surprised when suddenly, it seems, it's empty. From his mouth again, Ugh! Then, number one! It started. It usually starts when he relaxes, especially with a few on board. There are times when he can control the words, even though it's so bloody hard it's almost not worth the effort. Sometimes it just gets too much for him, and he has to let go, let the noises and the words fall out. Better have a rum now the bloody beer's gone. Frigging screw-tops are hard enough in the light, let alone in the dark. Determined, he struggles and succeeds. Worth the effort, definitely. The rum burns and warms as it goes down, a terrific contrast to the beer. The more it burns and warms, the less he cares. As the liquor flows, so do his words and his sounds. He can feel the muscles under his eye, down the left side of his face, ticking, but no one can see them. The sounds are different, they're loud and getting louder. He senses the restlessness around him. A woman turns and hisses, Shh! I would if I could, lady, he wants to tell her. Shout out to the whole bloody theatre. When you've got Tourette's, you don't have a say in what you say. Long ago, though, he learned there's no point. No point at all in trying to explain. No one really understands T.S. No one gives a shit anyway. He's just another old bloke stumbling around. Another weirdo. He opens his mouth, lifts the bottle to take a swig. Before he can drink, he's afloat in a river of sounds. Fuck and shit and thank you and ugly bitch and then number one. Some grunts and a couple of barks. Come on, Monty, come on, stop stuffing around. Get that rum into you. Keep the mouth busy, fill it with something else. But the words, the sounds, they're like water pouring out. At last he manages to stop the flow with the neck of the bottle, takes a swig, clamps his mouth shut as he swallows. He doesn't notice the woman, the one who shushed him, getting up and going outside. Sir, I'll have to ask you to leave, a man's quiet voice beside him. The movie! I've paid to see the bloody movie! Monty waves the bottle at the screen. Yes, I know, sir, but you have to leave. Now! Look, sir, we'll give you your money back. In the darkness, Monty finds the lid of the rum, carefully screws it back on, puts the precious bottle back in the bag and fumbles for his stick. Just as well there's that space between the rows. Lurching towards the open door, he shivers as cold streams in with the light from the foyer. He's escaped the loneliness, the humiliation for almost an hour back to reality now. The movie's a dead loss what he's seen of it anyway. They stuffed it up good and proper. The first one, the one he remembers from 40 years ago, that was better. Much better. Just like a bloke was 40 years ago. Then he remembers something else. 
Grinning, he pats his bag, feels the comforting outline of the rum bottle. There is a little something to take home after all. Thanks for joining me. If you like this story, please consider subscribing to this podcast and maybe even leaving a little review. For now, we'll see you next time round with another short story from Behind the Lighthouse. Short stories from Byron Bay and beyond. Behind the Lighthouse was written, recorded and produced by Steve Nossiter. Me. At Arcane Studios in Ganella Bar. The music was also composed by me.